And welcome back to Traditions. I'm Ron Alesco. Glad you're spending this Sunday afternoon with us here on WFUFM, or perhaps you're listening on Folk Music Notebook. And I am very, very excited to have this guest with us today. He's someone I've known and admired for so many years now. Um, he is probably known to most of you as one of the founding members of the group Brother's Son, uh, the amazing trio that uh, also featured Joe Jenks and Pat Wichter. They had a couple of number one CDs on the uh, of the year on the folk DJ list during their career. Uh, but this gentleman has been uh, a performer. He's performed at places like Carnegie Hall, All Things Considered, Mountain Stage, and probably every festival stage and venue all across North America. And it is such a treat to have him with us today to talk about his brand new album, an album called Songs from the Beginning. Let's welcome Greg Greenway. Greg, it's so good to see you again. Ron, always a pleasure, man. This is great. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell people about this project. Oh, this is an exciting project. Um, you've basically gone back, as it says, songs from the beginning. Uh, back, what, 40 years? That's hard to believe it's 40 yeah, years. but <laughs> 40, 42 or so. Yeah, I put the on the cover of the CD is a picture of me taken in 1979. You know, and um, and just just to alleviate the idea that I'm trying to pass myself off as looking like that anymore. <laughs> when when you open up the CD on the inside is a picture of me now and says, "In just opening this CD, you've taken a journey of 42 years with me." Uh, so, well, what I found amazing, and I, I was lucky enough, you you sent me an early copy of this, and I got to be honest, when I first heard that you're doing songs from the past, you know, I, I've I've seen other artists do this. And sometimes the songs are like, okay, this is this is an antique I'm listening to. But I was blown away because all of these songs sound like you could have written them yesterday. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was at an early stage in your career, but obviously you showed the uh, uh, the talent that you had for creating this music and to make these songs sound so timeless. Uh, that's quite a feat. Well, I'm, I'm I'm really proud of that, and thank you for saying that. I'm really proud of that because, um, you know, you get started, and um, there's so much was foundational about these songs. You know, like for instance, uh, there was it was the first time I played in open tunings, uh -huh. and anyone who's seen me now, I mean, I play almost exclusively in a C9 tuning, but that that's been a journey that started back then, and um, thanks to my older brother. Um, he brought home two two records, you know, back then it was records, to, and left on the turntable when I was in high school. One was Richie Havens, Mixed Bag, and the other was Eric Anderson, About Changes in Things. And those two players are so vastly different players. Richie Havens was a drummer yeah. with a guitar, and Eric Anderson was a very beautiful finger picker. And so really my style is about putting those two styles together. How can I, how can I play like Richie? How can I have the energy of Richie? Because after all, I am just an excitable boy. So <laughs> I, need, I need to express that energy. And, but how do, how do I get the finesse of that finger picking? So my whole career has been about sticking those two things together. So on this new record, you hear me for the first time at this, at that point in my career, I was playing in the detuning that Reggie, the Reggie, excuse me, Freudian, uh, that Richie Havens played in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and he played in that detuning, and he played in a D major seventh tuning. So, um, the first song on the record is uh, "Let It Roll," and that was really, you know, I'm sitting in an apartment in Boston, Massachusetts. You know, uh, my first summer there. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I made this journey. I didn't know anybody. And it's like, well, I'm rolling the dice. You know? <laughs> uh, and so, um, so much of my style that started out, these were my first ideas. How to, so I took that, that, that arpeggiation thing and I said, well, why don't I, instead of flat picking this, why don't I finger pick this? And hence, like the first four sort of songs on the, on the record are like that, of that. So that's a very beginning of, of me playing in open tunings and wanting that big full guitar sound. So, um, you know, and things happen when you when you go to a strange city, when you don't know anybody and all you can do is just focus on what's going on in your head. And I think that's so much of what happened on this on this CD. Here I sit about midnight. Nowhere near where I was about noon 
close my eyes and go riding on the back of a thoroughbred tune. Let it roll, let it thunder, let everything you like come to mind. We are all but simple soldiers, open and charging the places well within my borders of concern how can I keep my concentration with so much waiting there to learn let it roll let it thunder let everything you like come to mind we are all but Let It Roll, first cut on the new album from Greg Greenway, Songs from the Beginning. And Greg is with us today. And that was one of the, the early songs from the early 80s that, that yeah. Greg wrote. As well, it was like talk- 1978, probably. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, really. And it sounds so fresh. I mean, I, I, I guess because it's a, sort of a, a universal experience. I mean, you like you were saying before about moving from, I guess you were still living in the South before you moved to Boston? Yeah, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. And a very, very different world with, with, uh, you know, parents who never really moved beyond their world very much. Mm -hmm. So for me to pack everything that I owned in my life into my, as I say, my mostly orange Datsun 510 station wagon (laughs) and uh, and drive on sort of three and a half cylinders up to Boston, um, you know, to, to be a songwriter and try to explain that to anybody, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to go be a songwriter. 
really? You know, where I grew up, nobody did that. You know, so I, I went to a place, fortunately, in Boston, where Boston is a city of becoming. There are so many universities and colleges there, and, and, and I, I literally moved fortuitously um, in the middle of three major uh, music schools, uh, Berklee College of Music, Boston Conservatory, and New England Conservatory. So my friends were all from there, and they were all knew, you know, they were all educated musicians, and I, I was an English lit major for reasons that are too, too long to go into this, but, <laughs> but um, I just turned into, um, well, let's just put it this way. I think people can relate to this. When you come from a place where there wasn't a lot of education, not a lot of worldliness, you have to learn everything from somewhere else. So you become a sponge to become who you want to be, you know, if you have that desire inside of you. And so I became a sponge because I knew these people knew, knew what they were talking about. And, and uh, as I wrote on the CD, um, they were patient with me. They were so wonderfully patient because they could see through my ignorance to see my passion. Mm-hmm. And so they helped me, so many of them, in, in particular the, base, the bassist on this record who came back to, to play on this record, Doug Ray, my friend. People might have seen him uh, playing with Sloan Wainwright. Um, he lives up in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut. But he and I worked through these arrangements just note by note in my living room on the Fenway in Boston. So, so doing this again was, it was like a, just hopping in a time machine. Now, now, when you were doing it again, uh, were, you, uh, were you were these what we hear on the recording? Was this basically the same way you were performing these songs back in the beginning, or have you adapted it to uh, things that you've learned over the last forty-two years? Um, actually, I had to relearn how to play like this. Um, no, we wanted to. When I talked to Doug about this, we really wanted to <clears throat> preserve this, what we did, because uh, it was so unique. Um, we wanted to, to, to do it the way we had done it because people, you know, the people who watched the, uh, my live stream broadcast and they heard these songs, they said, why don't we have these songs? We want these songs. So we felt like there, was, there were a group of people who saw them back in, in the day. So they wanted those songs. I wanted them to be totally reminded of what they heard. Mm-hmm. But I, I also wanted to, you know, play it with my, well, particularly sing it you know, uh, I'm an entirely different singer. After eight years with Brother Son, I mean, I'm a much better singer than I've ever been in my life. So, yes, we, we maintain the arrangements for the most part. And then um, we, just, we just did it, uh, you know, with really excellent new technology. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned the, the Boston scene back then and being a sponge and, 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 you know, kind of learning a lot of what was around you. I mean, it had to be different coming from Virginia where I'm, I'm guessing that there were fewer places to play like this, where, I mean, Boston, you know, even in the late 70s, there was a, still a growing coffee house scene. I mean, Boston's always been kind of the epicenter for folk and acoustic music. But yeah. did, did you gravitate to any particular individuals who mentored you or you learned the most from? Is that fair well, to say? Well, I tell ask? you, I, I was fortunate enough to meet, I mean, uh, you know, by the time I was uh, an opening act at Passim, Right. I was uh, I was meeting, you know, people that everybody knows. I mean, you know, in the, the dressing room at Passim was like a six by six little closet. And I remember walking in there when I was opening for Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry takes up the whole dressing room. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, you know, and here I am, this, you know, really green guy, you know, like, hey, Mr. Terry, you know, right. <laughs> and he. He was so much fun, uh, and I oh, and it seemed to, I sort of fell into certain acts. Like I opened for Dave Van Ronk all the time, and uh, I had kind of a job. Um, you know, um, he was something else. I just loved that guy because he was always fond of telling you stories. You know, and he had his <laughs> he had his glasses. You know, the glasses were part of his whole presentation because he would <laughs> bring those glasses up and he had those those huge bushy eyebrows and he'd tell you stories that to emphasize it with his eyebrows, but. Um, you know, Dave was known to have a drink or two in his life. And so one of the things that, you know, Bob Donlin, very laconic sort of New England guy uh, who'd seen everything, would say to me, now, if you see him go across the street, you tell me. 
<laughs> there was a bar right across the street. So part of my job as opening act at Passim was to keep an eye on Dave Van Runk just to make sure that the second show could happen. You know? Right. So we, yeah, there were some pretty funky second shows. But, oh, that, um, yeah. So I, I, those are the, on that level, I met people like that. I opened for Bruce Coburn, you know, when he was just a youngster. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people that would translate out. Um, you know, Artie Trom uh, with Pat Alger. And Pat went to went to Nashville and has written some great country hits. So, um, you know, I just met people on that that sort of level uh, of, uh, you know, proficiency. And they, they gave me all kinds of advice. But the my biggest learning was from my friends in the area who were students at the New England, New England Conservatory or the guys that I played with were both Berkeley guys. Hmm. And so, you know, I through osmosis, I had to to, you know, sort of, learn about uh, music and see I resisted it you know foolishly I had there was no one in my family who who had had any formal music training whatsoever so I was just you know a C and um, but the people that I did meet who had musical training would sort of lord it over you you know because it was an adolescent thing so it's like oh, I know this and you don't you know and I'd go yeah but you still can't play you know? <laughs> So I kind of got a bad, you know, taste in my mouth from people who did that. So all through college, I resisted taking any music courses. Really stupid of me now because I'm having to go back and relearn it backwards, you know, but such is life. So but the main thing is, and I think what I gained from that is that everything came right from here. It, It didn't start here. It came from here. It may have passed through there, but it started here. You know, and when I hear people who are just disconnected, you know, it's all neck up music. Um, it, it doesn't move me. Yeah, it's got to come so, from the heart. Yeah, and and that's and that's the thing. You know, that's that's. I mean, here I am. I'm by myself. You know, I have just staked everything on this, and um, and I just met people who would be supportive of it because, so as I said, Boston is a city of becoming. You'd always mm-hmm. meet somebody. I'm on my way to do this. I'm studying to do this. So if you said, okay, I'm going to be a songwriter, they go, okay, fine. You know, and and that that was a really productive environment. And as they say, I met really wonderful people who would say. Think, think about this, listen to this person, or let's go see this person. You know, my bass player took me constantly to hear people that I would have never thought to. I, I went to see um, uh, McCoy Tyner, ja- great jazz pianist. You know, I sat 10 feet from him at an old club called Jonathan Swift's in uh, Harvard hmm. Square. And I saw, um, I saw twice, I saw Chick Corea and um, Gary Burton, the vibist, and uh, Chick Corea to this day, I mean, as I sit at my piano, I try to, I try to play Spain. The first <laughs> 30 seconds is Spain because it's just a piano education. So right. I had people who were saying to me, you know, they weren't necessarily rooted in the folk movement. Um, so they, they exposed me to all kinds of music, and I just responded to that. So I, I feel so very lucky to have had people who were very patient with me. And, and I think that's the secret, too, of being, being exposed to so many different things and elements of music. You know, a lot of people can become sort of a one-trick pony where it's just, um, right. you know, guitar, a couple of chords. But, you know, you really expanded your music, and it's, it's shown all these years. You know, th- there's a song on the album, which you mentioned the piano. Uh, I think it's a song that sort of taught you how to play the piano, from what I understand. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um... When I first got there, I, as I said, I, I, I knew almost no one, and through I only knew one person, and through that one person, uh, became this incredible, you know, six degrees of separation to to people. But the one of the first, my first girlfriend in Boston, was uh, had graduated as a scholarship pianist at Boston University, and she was having to let go of that because she was going to be an architect, so she was getting ready to leave. And so we talked about it all the time. And so before she left, I just thought to myself, finally, you know, hello, Patty, you, you have to play for me. You know, I, and she didn't want to do it because she hadn't been practicing six hours a day, which she normally had done for her whole life. But so she said, OK, this is going to be terrible. Right. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what do I know? I think, OK, she's probably going to be OK. You know, I mean, how how good could she be if she's letting it go so easily? You know, well. <laughs> when, she put her hands, when she put her hands on the piano, it was just, I just went, 
oh my god <laughs> I, I it was one of those moments and everyone has them i'm sure where you just realized that you were in one universe and she was in another like she had been putting up with my universe because she was in a part of a much bigger one and i just i from that moment on i just became a one-man lobbyist lobby team uh to to get her to to get back to the piano you know and she moved away she wasn't playing and i just kept sending her letters saying what you need to do is throw the music away because it's all in your heart and your hands and just play turn off the lights sit down at your piano and play and she did it she called me up and said you know what i did you know <laughs> so so i felt you know quid pro quo because she had introduced me to boston she took me to all the great places to be in boston and she supported my music and i felt like boy just to be able to just say you got to play you're just incredible so i wrote a song about her on guitar and there was a big argument amongst the people and you know on my live broadcasts because some were traditionalists they wanted it on guitar and then some wanted it on the piano because they love it on piano now i love it on piano and so i was going to have to go relearn it on guitar but the the traditionalists won so on the on the CD you hear it dominated by the guitar but there's such a beautiful part between the bass and the guitar and then I couldn't leave it out when at the last verse when it says you know Tennessee sat down at her piano so she finally played for me so then I had to put some piano riffs in there so so yeah so you know another aspect of it is on my live CD for people who have heard that there were two songs on the piano and I had never performed my original music in my own live concerts before. And so I just, I played Tennessee and another song called You Don't Travel Like I Do. And I just played them over and over and over again till I was a trained monkey. And I, that Tennessee was the first song I played in that on that CD. So I really put the pressure on myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
was Tennessee, a cut from the new album from Greg Greenway, Songs from the Beginning, and Greg is with us today, and he told us the lovely story of uh, how that, that song evolved. And I'm glad you put the little piano piece in at the end. That, was, uh, that made it so perfect. Now, now you, you also mentioned you recorded this before on your, your live album, um, but most of these songs, were, they haven't been recorded before, have they? Um, let's see. It depends on how you look at it. So there, because I had some tapes that I made before I made an actual CD. Oh, okay. So, yeah. but the, like, uh, I'm trying to think what percentage of them. I mean, Tennessee made it onto my first record. Summer Song made it onto my first record. Um, and Icarus has. I've attempted to get that correct on a couple of different records, but this is the most. Yeah. This is the version right here. The the of Icarus. And uh, Passion Dance was on a record, too. So four of the ten had been re- recorded previously. Um, but the others, never heard before. Mm-hmm. Now, now, when you... The ones that haven't been heard before, I, I assume you haven't been playing those in a while? Or were you are they part of your... In concert, or were these just things that were sitting in a notebook somewhere and <laughs> you kind of dug out again? Well, um, I have kind of a surrogate family that I met in 1978 in the Boston area and um, they just you know love these songs that I was playing you know uh, he and his wife when he was going to to Penn um, used to drive into New York City to see like Harry Chapin and people like that so they were used to seeing live really excellent folk music and I played at a club about a block from their house and I'm I'm playing and I look over there and there's this guy in a suit and a tie smiling at me I'm just saying to myself, people in suits and ties don't smile at me. <laughs> what is this? But he'd been told by a mutual friend that he should come see me play. And so uh, he invited me back to his house. And they, I mean, they just invited me into their lives. And they helped me in so many ways. But every Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving giving they have, I don't know, in before the pandemic, they'd have anywhere from 25 to 35 people at Thanksgiving. And at every Thanksgiving, I would give a concert. And so you have to imagine that for all of these years, we've done this every Thanksgiving. And so people don't hear these songs, but once a year and they request them. And this brings back, these are like little memory jogs for everybody. Everybody goes, I remember when you did this because so-and-so was this age. And, you know, it's just a family thing. So I would play these songs for them once a year. You know, and so I would have to sort of think about it, you know, before I went and played them. And and I, of course, move into my new songs. But um, but they wanted to hear those old songs because to them it was like remembering their childhoods. So I have played for four generations of that family. And uh, in the thank yous for my record uh, of the CD, I think I think one one person who was the grandmother, who was the matriarch, and she was a New York City social register person. Her fa- her husband was a really big lawyer in New York, and um, I never quite understood what she thought of me. You know, mm-hmm. I you know I always thought, well, maybe she's just here because everybody else is here. Well, at the end of her life, she got Alzheimer's, and so I went to play for her when she was in her apartment on 66th Street in Manhattan. And she literally would look away 
and, and look back at me and go, oh, who are you? That's, that's how bad it was. Mm. Well, I played Icarus for her, and she sang note for note, word for word with me. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, what an experience. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I never will forget that. And, it, you know, just the fact that, oh, yeah, she did hear me. Yeah, and you the know. power of music. It really is something what it, what it can do with people. Well, you know, power of music. I mean, these are songs that you've revisited after 40 years. Um, did you learn anything new from them over the time? I mean, when you were picking out a song like, like Icarus, you've done a number of times, but yeah. some of the other songs that you haven't played in a while, when you started to sing them again, any I, new experiences from them? I. Oh, I, I sort of gained new respect for myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I went, these are interesting songs. Yeah. You know, that there were, um, there's a song in there called Starting All Over Again, which was, you know, really the verses take you through my family life, at my Virginia family life, through my brother and through my dad. But just about how life makes you start over, over mm -hmm. and over, you know, and this is what you have to be prepared to do. And, um, the changes in that were really quite unusual. I don't know how I did that. Uh, the same thing in um, in Icarus. There's a very unusual chord change in there, but um, I wasn't thinking about it like that. I just heard it with my ear, you know. So I think I, I learned new respect because I'm constantly down, diminishing myself. You know, looking back, I go, oh, I just, I didn't know anything. I didn't, well, I did know something. And yeah, I think yeah. that this CD kind of helps me understand that I did know something because there's a lot on here that I find that I, I was very surprised to play again and go, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah. That, like, like I said at the beginning, you know, I was a little concerned when I heard oh, old songs, you know, because people oh, yeah. grow. People always grow. Uh, but there's nothing to be embarrassed here. I mean, these are songs, like I said, these are, these are mm -hmm. all timeless. And, uh, you know, recording them again, or in some cases for the first time, um, the process of putting this album together, how was that different from what you were doing 42 years ago? Obviously, then you were re releasing cassette tapes and, I guess, LPs, maybe, in those early days. <laughs> well, I, I, I literally was helpless. You know, I had to... I was had to put myself in the hands of a studio engineer or a producer, you know, somebody who knew more about this whole process. And one of the things that, um, that I'm proudest about my career is... Um, you know, when you're when you're in an art in the arts in the United States, you have to learn how to do a lot of different things. You just do everything. And so I've learned to do a lot of things. And I have to mention, you know, my very, very, very close friend, Neil Eckstein, up in Sudbury, Massachusetts, who allowed me to come into his studio in his home and learn Pro Tools and learn his uh -huh. whole setup, you know. So so when you go back to record all of this again, um, you know, I, I, one, I knew to go to Morningstar Studios and outside of Philadelphia because that's a fantastic studio and I don't mind giving them an ad here. And Dave Schonauer, who's the engineer, brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. To me, this is the best my voice has ever sounded on any recording. He, he really got it. You know, he got, he, you know, and so much of it is understanding how um, it's like for the, for the rest of the world, you know, for whatever you do for your job, you know, during the day, you know, try doing it on roller skates. All right. <laughs> like, like that's what it is when you go into the, the studio, because it's a completely different thing singing in the studio than it is singing live from people. So he got it we got it together we got it in such a way that i could totally relate how i sing live to how it worked on the microphone so that's a real accomplishment over all that time and that i really thank that studio and 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 that engineer uh, dave schonauer for that so yeah you know there was that part of it and then there was the idea that okay this is going to be a a re-record of a record of a historical record and so for a lot of people who wanted this album to happen this was a little piece of memorabilia for them so I couldn't change this I couldn't put this in an entire band setting you know you couldn't mm -hmm. do that because that's not how these songs existed these songs were played first of all with me then with Doug on the bass and then maybe with a cellist and so 
when I when I went through this, I thought about the sound palette. You know, this is what you have to do as a producer. And I said, this has to stay simple because it has to be based in the bass and the guitar because this is what made these songs work. And then whatever happened back in the day, you know, that is an organic instrument. And I have to thank, I'll mention another name, uh, my friend Phoebe Karai, who was a cellist at the New England Conservatory uh, and became a Baroque cellist. And um, she, you know, hauled that thing on the red line over to Harvard Square so we could play together, you know, uh, that in, you know, freezing temperatures and stuff. But so I thought of that. And fortunately for me, uh, the fabulous, fabulous cellist, Michael Ronstadt, uh, was in the Philly area. And so I could get him to come. So two of the songs we did with him in the studio, and it was just phenomenal. I mean, when he, when he started playing Icarus, I mean, I, and I'm sitting in the control room and Dave is sitting there at the controls, you know, and we're both being really still because it's a very still song. And we just kind of, our heads kind of rotated to each other. And I just said, there's not many days in life like this. <laughs> you know? oh, he, so, he's incredible. There, there's oh. another, the other song that you uh, have Michael playing on is a, a song called Passion Dance. Yeah. Uh, would, would you like to introduce this song? We'll, we'll play it now. Yeah, this, this song is a huge historical piece for me because I was on my way back from Cleveland, and what I did not know was that my great friend Reggie Harris saw me perform in Cleveland. We didn't meet, but that started it. Now, you, you, were in, you were at a music conference in Cleveland? Was that yeah. what you were there for? Well, it, okay. was, yeah, it was a NACA conference. It was a, a college activities association conference. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and at Stouffer's on the Square in, in Cleveland. But... It was the first thing, it was the first conference I had ever played. And I, as we were driving home, the, it was a trio at that time, Doug Ray on the bass, John Sands on drums. And we were driving back on Interstate 90, and it snows, it was snowing. And the highway stayed black. It was like a black stripe because it wasn't that cold. And the landscape was just this cushion of snow. And the, only the yellow warm lights from the houses we were passing would light the landscape, you know. And I'm sitting there going, I'm finally doing this. This is my dream. This is my childhood dream. I want to play music and I'm getting, I'm starting, you know. So suddenly I start hearing this melody in my head. Had no idea where it came from. It just came in there. And so when we got back uh, to Boston, I went into my apartment, took out my guitar and said, how do I play this? So this song is a song about all that desire that you have in your youth to be what you dream you can be. And it's all wrapped up, and so much of it is in the instrumental part of it. So the part between Doug and I, the bass player, plays a very non-traditional bass part, and the cellist is just, he just absolutely... I learned from Phoebe Karai that the one most amazing sound on earth is harmonics on a cello. So the first five seconds I saw Michael, I said, Michael, we have to do harmonics on the cello. He goes, oh, man, I like you already. <laughs> so, so this piece is a combination of bass. And, of course, I couldn't stay out of it with the piano. I had to do my little splashes in there. Um, so this song is about the passion dance of me and my compatriots trying to grow up to be musicians in this world. Last leaves clung to New England 
This elaborate dance we've been doing these nights Is a long journey to freedom Passion dance, I am the lover tonight Passion Sun sinking west, we drove our way east, headlong into darkness, pursuing a vision, an old childhood dream, a far light in a forest, passion dance. I Beautiful song, Passion Dance, from Greg Greenway on his new album, Songs from the Beginning. And we are so lucky to have Greg with us today to, to talk about this this journey uh, of an album, an album that takes Greg back and takes all of the listeners back uh, 40, 42 years in some cases for yes. some of these great songs. But again, as you can hear on that one, uh, it, it still sounds so fresh as if it were written yesterday. And and somebody like Michael Ronstadt, who is such a big part of the uh, contemporary folk scene these days, uh, ju- just extraordinary. You know, Greg, as you look back on this album um, and you look back on 42 years, when you started doing this, I mean, you were telling us the trip from Cleveland where you were <laughs> realizing, you know, this is the time I'm doing what I want to do. But when you look back in the early days, did you expect the career would go like it's gone? Is this what you um, envisioned? I mean, how, no, how? I mean, for me, see, it's funny. Um, you know, I have always wanted, it, it has always been about self-expression. You know, um, the albums that I listened to sitting in my bedroom at 4126 Hillcrest Road in Richmond, Virginia, you know, as a child, as as a kid growing up, the album, they, they were like the CNN of the time. They were like the news. You know, I was hearing mm. about, uh, you know, uh, the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this, this became, music became um, a vehicle, you know. So I think for some people, music is a profession. But to me, I feel like I want to be an artist. This is a vehicle. This is a part of my soul. This is an expression of my soul. And so probably to the detriment of my business career, I have always been more interested in the development of that than necessarily in, you know, playing the game. And, um, you know, some, some are great at that. And really the music part is an addendum. 
for me, when I go on stage, and this is what I always envisioned, I always be, imagined myself on a stage bringing something to people, bringing an idea, like those I, like what Richie Havens brought to me, like what Eric Anderson brought to me, the idea of a world that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, so I always envision myself performing. And I just have to mention um, Scott Olerick, who passed away just recently. He's the one who really identified this for me in an interview. It was funny. We would usually talk for an hour, and then an interview would break out. Uh, he was such an interesting guy. But he said to me, when you write, you imagine performing, don't you? And I said, Abs- I hadn't thought of it. And I went, you know, you're right. I imagine performing this song for an audience when I'm writing it. So... That's what I envisioned. The rest of it, because I had no context, no idea of the industry, yeah. no idea of anything, how it all worked. I, I just, I wanted, to, I wanted to be an artist that could express emotional things and that could also do the same thing that those early folk artists did for me with their social consciences. Bring me into a world that's better. That's that's the, the best reason for getting into this. I mean, I, I, I've known some great artists over the years, some wonderful songwriters, but they also had more of a vision of of the business end where they wanted to really be popular. And I'm not going to name any names, but I know this one gentleman who wrote this incredible body of work, but he was always upset that he was never getting the big formal showcases or the big (laughs) gigs on stages. And he gave up. But, you know, he, he created this incredible songs. I mean, it's obviously it's a choice everybody makes. Sure. But, you know, when, when you go into it like you just described, I think that's what's made you so popular in our folk community over all these years. Because you're, you're, there's an integrity there. There's an honesty with your music. And there's a connection that you make with your audiences that uh, not everybody can do. So keep, keep plugging away. And in 40 more years, <laughs> I can't wait to hear the, the sequel yeah, to this really. album. <laughs> He, he has none of his original body parts, but the song is still the same. <laughs> uh, well, this, this is so wonderful. And, you know, you, you've been talking about the social aspect. Um, you and, and Reggie Harris have been doing some very powerful and, and timely shows. In fact, you recorded an album called uh, Deeper Than the Skin, um, something that especially in the last couple of years has been conversations I think we all need to engage in. I understand you, the two of you are going back to doing some more shows now that the pandemic seems to be uh, easing a bit. Yeah, well, we have several shows coming up and they're not on the top of my head. Uh, They will be on the Deeper Than the Skin website uh, very soon, but I know that some really great things are happening for us because we've been working on this, on upgrading it. uh, you know, not that the content needed necessarily upgrading, but just our, the way we were presenting ourselves business-wise. So we're doing a uh, the conference for the the national. Um, I gotta get the it's national something of friends, the friends conference of the Quakers. Mm-hmm. It's their official name of the Quakers. We are doing that uh, in Roanoke, Virginia, this summer, and we will also be doing something at the Chautauqua, I believe it's Institute. So these are the things that are great avenues for you know you always are trying to find people organizations who are disposed the same way you are that are already organized that you can just tap into and i think both of these are two huge things for us um that have really kind of drawn a line in the sand because we've always seen this thing as a theatrical production Mm -hmm. uh, our dream of this is to see it on broadway um, to see it, you know, presented in that way with all the things you can use emotionally to amplify these stories. But you can't forget that the story itself is just so powerful that it almost needs no, you know, no, no addendum to it. But um, we've just always felt like it's such a deep, powerful story. Um, and just I, I'll just give you the, the elevator speech about it. Reggie and I were born three days apart. He was born in Philly. I was born in the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia. And somehow we found each other in the, in the Phil Oaks song night in the green room at, uh, at the uh, Village Gate, believe it or not, uh, in Greenwich Village. And um, 
we started a conversation that's, that found race very quickly. And from then on, for 35 years, we've talked about it. And then we discovered, A, that we were born three days apart. And then we discovered that Reggie, his ancestry traces back to a plantation literally five miles where I'm, from where I'm sitting right now, 15 <laughs> miles outside of Richmond. So our DNA came through the same portal. So how is it that you know, our ancestors split 50,000 years ago? That's how I say it. You know, mine went one way, his went another. And it's taken me 50,000 years to find my brother. But we mm. passed right up the James River together. You know, even though completely different narratives. So we talk about how it is that we have become friends and love each other. And when we sing together, it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh, it certainly is. <laughs> so, so there's that. So you can wrap those songs, all the songs that we've written around this that, that, that punctuate. They're sort of the, like the Greek chorus of what we just said, you know. So it's a very emotional show. And, and it starts a, hopefully starts a conversation that America has needed for a long time. Absolutely. And I, I guess our listeners can uh, check it out. Deeper than the skin dot com is the website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And, I, you know, I guess, Greg, it's a, you know, putting out an album, even at the end of a pandemic, hopefully at the end of a pandemic, is always a, a risk because I know a lot of artists haven't been able to tour. I mean, you you would probably be doing CD release concerts, uh, but you're doing some online shows and such. Uh, yeah. is, are you going to continue doing that for a while? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's going to be an interesting question because I have so many people on these live broadcasts. It's become it's become like a family. Yeah, it really, it really has, um, as as it has with the Greenwich Village Folk Festival. It's just become like a family of the production staff. And um, but you're literally, you know, when I first did them, I think, okay, I'm I'm performing like I'm performing on stage, you know, and that and that that has a certain formality to it. And then you realize that no, I am watching them chew on something. <laughs> they're in their living room and as you can see i'm in mine okay so so there's a whole different process to move people into a space like this because we are you know in our most informal setting so yeah you know to go from that but they heard these songs and they said we want this you know and they said we will invest in this the you know the magic turning point so um, they did, and they, they put their money where their where mouth was, and so I said, gee, you're serious about this. I guess I have to be too. Right. And so, yeah, so it, and it, this is the reason it took two years to make because I couldn't go to the studio because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. I just couldn't go. So, um, yeah, but it's, um, you know, when you've waited 42 years to do the songs, <laughs> what's, what's a year delay, you know? Right. But yeah, so so it's uh, it, it it was a very organic process, say it yeah. that way. Well, it, it came out wonderfully, and uh, you know, Greg, I'm I'm so glad we were able to spend some time today, and I hope we will get to see you somewhere in person, somewhere down the road, or if you not would. online, because obviously, as you said, that connection with the virtual audience has created something new. I think this pandemic has uh, been a lemon, but a lot of people like yourself have been making a lemonade out of it and really creating <laughs> something new. Uh, and I, I think a connection, it's a lot different, obviously, than than being on a stage in a little room with people. But uh, you did such a wonderful job. And, uh, and we're, we're all grateful for the work that you're putting together. Well, uh, I think we should end with one more song. Oh, before we do that, though, your, your website, I guess if people want to find out more about your plans, maybe you have some shows coming up later on yes. this year. Yes, yes. GregGreenway.com, easy enough to find. And um, I spent uh, a lot of effort on this, on this website. It's unlike anything I've had before. You can literally go on there and see the lyrics to each song. And you can also... I've. Like we were talking here, you know, I, I ex- wrote extensive uh, artist notes on each song to kind of, exp- you know, just give the whole story because there are people who kind of wanted to know that. Mm-hmm. So there's it's a, like a, a place you can go uh, when you when you um, if you want further explanation of a song, like how it was written, why it was written, who's singing on it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's a great place to go. Well, Greg, I want to want to finish off with the song, which is one of my favorites on the album, a song that you have recorded a couple times in your career, but this one is so beautiful. Uh, it's the song Icarus, and I think it really speaks a lot about what what you do and I think what all of us perceive with this music and this community. Yeah, it it's an incredible story. 
and I'll try to be as concise as possible. Um, on a very, very hot day in Williamsburg, Virginia, when I was a sophomore at the College of William & Mary, I was assigned a poem called Musée de Beaux-Arts by W.H. Auden. And then the second stanza started with, as in Bruegel's Icarus. And uh, I had no clue who Bruegel was, and I couldn't even say it correctly back then. And I had no idea who Icarus was, so I literally put the book down and went to the movie theater because it's the only place I knew there was air conditioned. Right? <laughs> I didn't pay attention to what the movie was, so I'm sitting there, and on the screen comes The Man Who Fell to Earth, starring David Bowie. And David Bowie plays an alien. You know, as I always say, what a, what a stretch for Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he puts his finger, he's paging insouciantly through a, uh, an art, a fine arts book, and he puts his finger on Bruegel's Icarus. The painting is actually called Landscape of the Fall of Icarus. And what it shows is the landscape of everyone at work in, in its time, in the 1500s. Uh, sailing ship, plowing the field, man fishing. And you see Icarus having fallen from the sky, his two white legs in the green water. And no one cares. You know, the, the whole, it's like everybody had something important to do and they just moved on. So his great tragedy to him, a great tragedy to everyone else, eh, not so much. So this was a lesson in life for me. So when I carried that to Boston with me, um, and I walked past a, a homeless guy um, on a bench right by my apartment building, and I started walking past him without paying any attention. I just realized that, oh, this process is still in, still in effect. Mm -hmm. So we have to maintain our heart in the face of all of this. So that's what this song says. Well, it's a good reminder for all of us. And, and Greg, again, I, I can't thank you enough for being with us today and, and also for recording this album and all the wonderful albums you've done. I believe this is your ninth so far in your career? Yeah, yeah this is, well, my ninth as a solo artist, yes. As a solo artist, right. Well, we look forward to the next nine as well. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Greg, <laughs> Greg Greenway, thank you again for being with us today. Ron, thank you so much for what you do. Sun goes up, moon goes down, 
Sun go